Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to another episode of Float Your Boat. I'm so happy to be here again, Breddy boy. Brett, I'm excited. You're excited? I am excited. Well, if you're excited, George, I'm excited. We, we have a special guest on today who's making a return appearance. Our first return appearance. Yes. And who would that be, Brady boy? Vashti Whitfield. Vashti now, Whitfield. Now, for those listeners who don't remember Vashti Whitfield or didn't follow us in our second season. You could go back. Um, let me just go to my podcasting app, which you all mm. should have on your phones. Yes. Um, Vashti was podcast 012 in our first series in 2017 on the 15th of May 2007. Have we been at it for that long? Yes, God. You know, I would have thought by now we'd be superstars just like Vashti is. Yeah, we're legends in our own lunchtime. Well, certainly in the local area. Wait, what, Big Down Under? Yeah, wink, Big wink. Down Under. Wink, wink, wink. So we wanted we uh, so before we, we before we begin this episode, uh, I just wanted to do a shout out to all our listeners in other countries outside of Australia. We love we love the Aussie crowd, but oh, you know we're well supported by by listeners from other countries. Brett, who who's top of the list, top of the pop charts at the moment? After Australia, uh, the USA. Maybe we sound like rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of Aussie bogans. Aussie bogans, yeah. <laughs> so yes, we've look. We've you know New Zealand, um, Sweden, Germany, a lot of other countries. It, it always, um, I'm always surprised when I go into the uh, analytics and I see you know oh there's you know you know eighty people in India listening to float your boat. A mm. um, recent spike in Estonia. Yeah, people. Just, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, look, I, I just wanted to thank everyone. And uh, look, you know, do us a favor. Uh, we'd love to get out to all your friends. Just recommend us as much as possible to um, your friends, your family, your acquaintances. And if you have anyone in your circle of influence uh, who have amazing stories, we now have global reach, which is amazing. We no longer need people to come into a studio. We have a way to reach them via Zoom anywhere in the world. And if they have a fascinating story, we want to hear about it. And we we're can record sure. lots of episodes because we've got bugger all else to do because we're both unemployed. We're bludgers. <laughs> we're a couple of bludgers. And, and speaking of bludgers, someone who's not and someone who is a global sensation, that's Vashti Whit Whitfield. Let's get her on. Let's get her on, George. Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome Vashti and uh, thank you for joining us in our new improved studio uh, from the coming to our listeners from the comfort of your own home. 
How are you, Vashti? You know, I am, and I'm always a little bit um, reserved in saying this given the current times, but I am very well, thank you. Very well indeed. Well, that's that's no surprise, Vashti. I mean, you're an eternal optimist. You 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 sell you sell the concept of positivity and 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 you know for for you know people to go for things that they believe in. And I guess any situation has two sides to it, right? Yeah. Look, I think everything everything in life has duality. That mm. that's just that's just the rule of the universe and and science, really, when we look at it. Mm-hmm. You look fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Thank very, you. Very tanned, I must say. I'm not bad for a podcast that we have visuals. <laughs> Do you know, it's, it's quite ironic given um, what's going on around the world that we should be very, very, with enormous gratitude, be in isolation with this wonderful duality of weather systems. You know, we have a, a week of kind of rain where you feel very productive and hunker down. And mm. then we have this glorious week of sunshine with parrots and everyone in their elements. So um, I have been conducting many of my sessions outside with a chorus of parrots. I don't know how supportive that is to my clients, but yeah, that's hence the, uh, the color tone that I have at the moment. That's beautiful. Now I must. Oh, sorry. I must say that you're you're our first to come back for a second a second go at this. Uh, so yeah. welcome. Welcome. You 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 are in a privileged position, and we're and we're so glad to have you on. Well, I'm delighted to be here, and I must acknowledge you guys because we had such a riot the last time we worked together that your podcast has had so much attention, and people have really enjoyed it. And recently, there's this you know been with the isolation going on. There's been this sort of resurgence of listening going on. So it was actually a number of my followers that like, can you do another one with those guys? With those guys? Well, that's good. I, I've I've got to say, you know, it's been like eighteen months. Oh, no, it would even be longer no, than that. Would, it actually, no, was on in our second season. First right? season, I think. First season. There you go. It's, it's funny how time flies, but you know. My wife, my wife tells me that we're not funny. So I don't know how you managed to get a lot of followers saying that you should do another episode with us. That's great. Well, it's possible. It's possible that you guys are just so dull. You make me look really, really good. I mean, that, there's the possible other side to that. Well, no, that's yeah. probably okay. it, actually. Okay. <laughs> that, so you, you said your wife, George, is like, my wife, please take my wife, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Vashti, Vashti, yes. you've you've come a long way in the even in the short time that we've known you. And um, tell us about you know your your journey since our last uh, since our first recording and um, and and how um, how you've pivoted, I suppose, or dealt with what's uh, what's happening right now, which is the COVID. Um... Well, I mean that is just a. a gigantic very... question really it is isn't it's it like, there's about 50,000 different ways to go in that question and and along with the conversation about the cu- current situation going on uh, in our planet on our planet and in our planet um i think since you guys i mean look it's time is a fascinating thing i always talk about time being our most um uh, important commodity and how we forget we put so much weight on um, acquisition of mm. the property of assets of blah 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 but really time is absolutely everything and yet I, I don't know where my time has gone the time has gone I'm looking at these two uh, little human beings that I brought into this world the last time I spoke to you guys there was a little boy and a little girl and I have these now have these I'm living with two other young adults mm. 
Um, so much of the last, I guess, is it three years? I'm not exactly yeah. sure of the timing. Around three, has, yeah. Yeah, has been spent um, guiding, facilitating, uh, pivoting and moving alongside these two and, and really working out, you know, on a day by day, week by week um, kind of mindset of how to both facilitate two very different human beings. So a lot yeah. of my time and, and actually my primary focus is how to have those two blossom through their different challenges and, you know, stages of life, moving yeah. into high school or middle school, as they call it in the States. That's one big element. And that is a constant constant kind of revelation of learning you know because mm. as much as it sounds incredibly cheesy that our children are our greatest teachers they really really are for me you know the my son always teaching me to be softer and less harsh <laughs> and and to to remember to actually be be much warmer and even more tactile and then my daughter teaching me about boundaries and pushing mine all the time so um that's been a huge part and then the other aspect is um the and as always we started this conversation talking about duality the constant duality of turning my own life experiences into very um relatable um uh products and services uh that i can then also cultivate as work which really for me means uh harnessing and delivering and cultivating very rich relationships and experiences with my clients on a kind of um local and global level so it's been a juggle you know and i try and work with fluidity between my work and making that incredibly purposeful and and as humorously and poignantly uh transformational as possible and and juggling the cubs and and their well-being so that's really what the last three years have been about how old are the two now uh 15 uh, nearly 15 and 12 and a half nearly 13. so it was the 15th of may 2017 last well, time there you go. So look how fascinating how close we are to the mark. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, that's what I struck me just when I looked. I thought, wow, mm. amazing. So you still uh, get up every morning early and go down to the beach? I do. I, you know, in these particular times, trying to be incredibly, well, not trying to be, being diligent and respectful of the rules and not that I'm in any way fearful of uh, sickness, death, dying in any way I am very conscious that others are so I've done my absolute best to honor distancing and so I've been getting up very early and I in fact go um, up into the parklands where we have our um, our beautiful tree in uh, memory of uh, the late and great Andy Whitfield and I run around our wonderful parklands which is such a privilege because it's just in just beautiful mm. it's a little distant from the ocean in terms of i like to see the ocean but actually it's been a really refreshing change you know there's something kind of quite on a beta level being around all those incredible giant trees and their mm. root systems mm. and being much more in the earth and actually when this all started we had a couple of weeks of rain and so running you know i kind of had chariots of fire or rocky in the background <laughs> you know do 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 as i was like running in the rain and it felt incredibly powerful and poignant and um and also running past this beautiful tree that we got in 2012 to honor andy's death that has this beautiful little plaque at the bottom and so running past that it's just this 
you know, very refreshing and humbling and inspiring reminder that whatever is going on, whether it's COVID, uh, whatever the next thing will be, because viruses do come and go in different shapes and forms, that's what they do. Um, just remembering that our time here is short and there'll be comings and goings and to just harness whatever's going on. So, yep, still doing the same philosophical start to my days, Brett. You know, you know, you you um, you strike me as someone who's highly observant and uh, and also a, a deep philosophical thinker. Um, what struck me uh, during the COVID crisis is is um, I guess it's a bit of a negative, I suppose. Um, it struck me how many people live in fear, mm. and um, if only there was a magic wand that I could wave around and and inspire people, because you know the day is today. And you live your day to the fullest and, and whatever happens, happens. Um, now, I know we have to be mindful of behavior, but uh, like, you know, touching and, you know, not shaking hands and things like that. But um, I don't think that um, anyone should let that get in the way of living a full life. Um, what have you observed? Well, I think it's really interesting because obviously I've got family and friends are all in the UK and North yep. America and their situation there from an isolation perspective and the death toll, as it were, is, you know, there's no comparison to what we're dealing with in Australia. No, and so, it didn't take Boris, did it? Well, the fear, the fear and the very real practicalities and enforced rules trying to navigate dealing with um, just like holding the virus in a small amount as much as possible so I didn't articulate that very well I don't think we're relating to that here in Australia so I think we need to be mindful of where fear and uh, it being exacerbated in countries like North America and the UK where there is significantly more scarcity in certain situations anyway you can understand how that perpetuates fear more and so I think just going back to your point of like being able to wave a magic wand and and manage fear I think it's a bigger bigger complex more conversation because mm. actually and I just uh, just uh, was talking about this recently it's also about our philosophical relationship and massive fear of anything to do with the word death and dying. Mm. So it's this fascinating thing where having an absence of things like being able to go into your favorite store or for a walk or the simplest of things or cancel a wedding, let's just say that you've, you know, there's grief with that and there's an absence and a death or something to a degree while simultaneously we've got people dying and fear of dying so what that cultivates is this low level level anxiety of to, even in people who are usually incredibly resilient and courageous so yeah. i think we have to be really mindful and this is where it's not so much waving a wand and getting rid of fear it's actually about building a much greater self-awareness of what is it I'm frightened of or what is it I'm anxious yeah. about and being able to have the skill sets to isolate those thoughts and feelings because then usually almost anyone and everyone has the resilience to deal with them but at the moment it's just this big ball of grief loss fear the whole thing and and to a normal human being that's just too much to kind of work your way through Yes, I mean it's a symptom of the modern modern age that we've stripped away the um, the exposure to death. I mean, once upon a time, families would um, you know put the dead person on the on the dining table and mm. uh, and wash the body and and then and then have a wake or mourning a mourning session you know for two or three days afterwards, um, and everyone in the family would be exposed to that. So 
So people grew up with this understanding that, you know, you're born, you live a life and, and you do die. And that's just part of the cycle of life. And they were exposed to that firsthand. Mm. I think it, the modern age has filled us with fear of, over the notion of death more so because we have, we're no longer exposed to that. That's kind of quietly taken care of by other people mm. somewhere else. Somewhere else, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, death doesn't even feature in, in uh, most people's consciousness now. Yeah. Uh, so when they're presented with that, the prospect of that, it's, um, it has a, they have a, uh, you know, like an adverse reaction to it more well, so than the shoot. Absolutely. And I think there's this other thing is that we just don't want to age, right? So, yeah. so let's just ignore that the aging process goes on. Let's just put it over there because that actually then has some relationship with the end of life. And then we just ignore yeah. all of that. But yeah. the other thing I would add to that, which is pertinent, is um, there are a number of people who have passed away, died. And a number of those people have were perhaps very vulnerable in the first place. And, you know, if I go back to my own story and to my husband dying of cancer, and I don't know if you remember, but I told this story to you guys last time, that 10 years earlier, almost to the moment, we had been at 9-11. And had the circumstances gone a different way in New York that time, we could have both been taken. And yet we got a whole 10 years together where we made babies, adventures, did the whole, you know, did the whole extraordinary chapter together. So my point, though, is we get even more fearful about the sadness and the overwhelm of COVID taking people's lives. But we don't know. And I know this is a slightly, you know, one of those conversations that's a little bit fatalistic. We don't know whether some of those people whether their number was up anyway. So it's this interesting conversation where we get very scared by COVID when actually there could be also other things at play. But I stop there because that's where there's one of those conversations that people start to roll their eyes and go, you know, let's, let's stop the fake conversation. Well, you, know, you know what I see? I see this massive saturation of, uh, let, actually, let me take it back a step. It's almost like there's this portal where we've got people who are in this space where they are willing because something has happened that was completely unforeseen. You know, how could, could we have ever seen other than in a Netflix show that something like this would happen? It's like, you know, as you've seen in various different posts, it's like an episode of Black Mirror gone, you know, horribly wrong, but it's here. And so there's this portal of people being a little bit more open. You know, it's a bit like when people learn to meditate or become more mindful or go on holiday and have a break. They suddenly see things in a different way. Yes. However, as a result of that, we have got every other person uh, teaching mindfulness, resilience, meditation, spirituality. Now, that is wonderful because that is a big piece of the Western philosophy and mindset that is hugely absent. You know, the mm. marriage of Western and Eastern working mm. in harmony in terms of philosophy would be ideal. But what I started to see, and this is really interesting, because what I started to see was like, okay, well, what can I do to be of service right now? Do I, do I come forward and put my kind of performance coach level of expertise? Do I come from the angle of neuroscience and mm -hmm. emotional intelligence and how to explore the elements of coaching that allow people to go greater self-awareness? But what I started to notice is there are some amazing people out there doing that. Um, there are people out there with, you know, 13 books published. There's the likes of, you know, Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, so many people that I admire and respect doing brilliant work in their level of expertise. 
And so what I realized is that actually the history I have with people is from firstly the Be Here Now film where they see me in my most real, raw, messy, authentic way mm. in a chemo ward, you know, crying my eyes at one minute and the next minute making jokes about getting abs with a, a hospital bed or his first, you know, boner after chemo and and what i realized is that actually what people want from me if anything at all is a more authentic uh sharing it's a lighter sometimes inappropriate sometimes uh self-aware sometimes giving subtly teaching elements through how i you know chat to my children and so for me it was almost like this permission to not have to step up and stand in the front of a boardroom or to facilitate a program or a workshop but to actually just show up as my ridiculous you know range of emotions and state of being self and that to me has allowed me the freedom but also others the freedom to interact feeling sad, happy, up, low, um, cheeky, uh, serious. And so I think that's what, for me, the welcoming or the audience that I've, um, I'm trying to engage with is that we're all in different places all the time. So how can one show up and engage with people on their level and keep that consistency? Well, how's it panning out at the moment? Well, it's interesting because what I see is that there's a certain level of lightness that people need. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's just about, it's about being intuitive. That's what I say. It's about intuitively feeling by keeping your finger on the pulse of what you, you observe is going on by talking to those people you love all around the world and getting the different perspectives. Yeah. Find a, a consistent kind of, I call it pulse rate in the middle of all of that and, and touch and, and talking to that pulse and, and, you know, you can, just do, you can just do your best. That's all you can do. I've noticed that people are a little bit more game to take a punt and, and get on Facebook and Instagram and all these other platforms and say what they're thinking and feeling at the moment. I, I think that's quite remarkable. Um, mm. Like they, people seem to feel like, okay, we can do this now because we're all sort of trapped in our little worlds and I, I think that's that's been a real positive because you, you're seeing people that you wouldn't normally see well and you know what I love about what you just said is uh, we were having a discussion about this this morning um you're seeing you know you're seeing the guy with not a six-pack but a wonderful beer belly jiggling around doing tiktok with his kids now there's one school where <laughs> Um, there's one school, if you, if the listeners could hear this, there's, you know, there's pointing to self going on around the virtual room here, um, yeah, but you'll see, you're seeing very real people joyfully sort of share their very real lives. So what you're not seeing and suddenly what is not appreciated is the polished perfect, right? Yeah. Because that's not the real. So in one, from one side, it's a bit like, you know, when somebody decides they're going to do an acting class or kind of go and do singing lessons. What we're suddenly seeing is people feeling safe and game to share just the, the silliness of the joy or the tomfoolery of their lives, right? And that is wonderful. It, it's super joyful. And on the other side of that, I think what we have to be really mindful of is this, what's the lesson and the learning from that in connecting in self-expression um, and in kind of courage. And how can we take that moving forward when things do shift? And the fact that you don't have to do that. 
I think there's this pressure to be on social media. There's this pressure to be performing. There's this pressure to be adding value or humor. And I think it's super important that in these times, the one thing we stop doing and make conscious effort is comparing ourselves to others. Um, so there's a delight in the freedom of expression that's going on, but I also think there's a danger because people are scrolling even more than they've ever done. Video content is being mm. lapped up more than anything else from, a, yeah. from, the, from the data. So we just need to be mindful about what we are putting out there and if it is adding value of some sort. Well, I've noticed, uh, I've noticed Vashti, in, in uh, a lot of the meetings that I've had over Zoom, because, of course, we can't go out and physically meet. I'm, I'm seeing CEOs now in their polo shirts and their, their, you know, their shorts with kids playing in the background, and you see a humanity there now that you normally wouldn't see if you were in the business world because you'd turn up to a boardroom meeting and they're all in double, double-breasted suits putting on a bit of a show. Mm. Um, there is an authenticity that's coming out of, um, of, uh, of this. I, I also see that there's a, people are more, more in tune now with um, less about work, more about lifestyle and family. Mm. That, that's what I'm sensing. And it's a bit like uh, the genie's out of the bottle. I mean, how, how, how do you see it panning out going forward? Well, I think there's two, there's two elements. The first is, you know, wonderful that you've got your CEO in polo shirt with the kids in the background. I've had my CEOs in budgie smugglers with kids in the background. <laughs> oh, so that's lovely. I'm, go I'm going up one up on that. <laughs> and it's not too bad for this old widow. Thank you very much. All right. No um, one should see that. <laughs> that's how George wanted to appear today. That's for sure. Uh, you know, when I, when I wear my budgie smugglers, uh, Vashti, uh, it's like the parting of the Red Sea at Bondi. You know, <laughs> Actually, we have life. a mutual friend who has commented on that one. Oh, no. Um, but anyway, I'll leave that there. But what I wanted to say is there's a couple of different things. I think your point around family and uh, I'm going to call it work-life balance, which is that conundrum that nobody really can get their head around. But the elements of what so many have been missing out on because of the divide has become suddenly so uh, obvious yes. and and the fear of losing that again has yep. suddenly become a very pertinent conversation that needs to be had mm. in how we move forward. So, mm. and, and again, I say it's a bit like a portal that's opened up and if you don't go through it quick enough, I really do believe it's just going to close back. I do think we're going to have some advocates for cultivating change, but I also think the running and trying to catch up from this could also create a very, very real and very dangerous um, tendency to go back to how it was. That's really? one thing. But then the other thing I am also seeing, which is important to kind of recognize, is that there are a lot of people, and it's not exclusively women, um, who are working from home, who have got their families at home, Maybe they've got, as so many of my um, followers have been writing, and they maybe have three or four children, maybe even two with learning difficulties where they're trying to homeschool them, work a full-time job, and then also wash up everything, breakfast, lunch, dinner, do the what. And so we're also seeing people who are completely challenged by the work and home environment being collapsed into one. Yeah. So I see that what it's cultivated is real a real sense of which values have been uh, left by the wayside that need to be brought back into the dynamic of a, a work life. But I also see that, that if, if we are going to cultivate more working from home with more fluidity, there also needs to be a different work structure to facilitate those who have 
multiple roles when they're not in the office. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think there'll be a, there'll certainly be, there's that, but there'll be a, a high level of resistance to getting back mm. on, on, on the hamster wheel. Mm. Well, I, I don't know how you guys felt, but I, I talked about this the other day and, and even this morning there was a sense of it and with some of the um, the information they're releasing in Sydney at the moment about what will return or we will be allowed to do in the very near future. I, I have had this sort of, you know, you know, that little tightness in your chest, that little bit of ang- not anxiety because it's too big a word for how I felt, but just this almost sense of loss you know, that anticipatory kind of grief of, I don't want it to go back to the way it is. I love the quieter streets. I love that actually people are in some ways more friendly, more real, more raw, more open, more connected. And so I think um, it's interesting because I feel very committed to being in pursuit of working with all my clients in a way that really helps them to maintain and sustain the wins and the mindset shifts and the, the way that they've been living in their lives and running their businesses and supporting them to maintain that in a different way moving forward. I'm totally with you there. What I've noticed a lot is, um, which I rarely would have seen up where I live in the park, um, men with their families or men with their kids on their push bikes riding around getting some exercise before this happened that would never happen Mm. my concern is is all i also have that little pang of like i sort of don't want it to be back to normal because it's really in some ways it's good the way it is it's a strange time really isn't it Mm. very strange and look from a leadership perspective some of the things we actually have to do and those in the positions to be at the forefront of um you know i call it i think the, the term is it's evolution rather than revolution but because of the situation which has kind of brought us skidded to a halt with certain things and forced you know, massive changes. I think it's really important that those in positions of advocacy for how to shift that, which is all about working hours, which is all about the freedom to work from home or the office. And then also, you know, this age old conversation of as long as you get the job done, is that enough? And is it okay that you do it in your way? So if you are taking your kids for a bicycle ride and not in until 12 o'clock or you are jumping on a call at 12 but the work still gets done well is that not okay do we need to return to being sat at our desks all day looking over our shoulder checking everyone's working hard enough or can we move like some of the more evolved organizations to working in a way that suits our brain our rhythm as long as the job gets done in a way um, it makes you wonder whether we've all been doing a whole lot of nothing <laughs> well, in our work life. You know, uh, a lot of time filling and um, to punch the clock for the 40 hours a week. Um, you're right. I, you, I think you, people are getting a lot of work done in a much shorter period of time um, now in this situation, which is interesting. Yeah. I, felt, I felt the pressure, the pressure's uh, gone. The, the pressure to, you know, to be that performing monkey for 12 hours a day is gone because no one's watching. Mm. So, so I get the work done that I need to do within whenever I can uh, and it gets done, but there's no, no need to punch the clock. <laughs> so, it, it, Look, it's a really interesting one and it all 
it all anchors in psychology, neuroscience, and each individual having different needs and requirements to be their most effective. And I think it's not as clean cut as, okay, you only need to work this many hours in the office and, and at that many hours. The data shows that it, it is actually, we're seeing that things aren't getting done in a number of places as productively. And whether that's because people are being efficient or inefficient or they're, they're missing the co-creation and the collaboration or that their home environment is not a great one compared to the office. Mm. So I think it takes, first of all, some research and some exploration and to really gather the insights from this and to look at what is going to be a possible way moving forward. The other thing to consider, you know, like one of the things that baffles me is the homeschooling. The homeschooling, you know, we're trying to get kids off screens and then all of a sudden they've been given a curriculum which starts approximately between 8.30 and 9 and goes between 3 and 3.30 in the afternoon where they are on a screen all day. Not, they're not being given, well, mine aren't being given assignments where it's like, okay, go off and sit there and write an assignment with a pen and, and read. A, it's all screens. So I also think, you know, again, the evidence shows in Scandinavian countries or Finland particularly, there's a different way of working with the teenage brain that is so much more effective. But because of the old school belief system and the infrastructure, the archaic infrastructure of schooling, much like the this is how many hours you have to work to prove yourself, there's a lot of work to push past that old school hierarchy. There's certainly going to be a lot of redesigning in a lot of industries. There's no doubt about it. I hope so. Yeah. Look, you know, I mean, you know, I've looked into the, um, the, the Finnish system of uh, education and, that, and it is really uh, project-based and uh, the, the, the kids are allowed to operate at their own tempo and they're allowed to do other things. They're allowed to play or make pottery, you know, do, do whatever uh, as long as they deliver on their, on their assignments. Mm-hmm. And that, show that that creates a whole new level of independence amongst children and that see i mean for so long workers in uh, were were micromanaged and and um and told how to do things and what to do and now now they're given an opportunity to do it in their own time their own tempo mm. i think that's quite mature I, I, again, I don't think that, uh, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think it's going to be easy putting everyone back into that um, hamster wheel. Look, it certainly invites, it has invited this mass reflection, you know, and, and something that I work with consistently is the reevaluation of values, which change at different times in your life. So people really reevaluating what are their core values what is most important to them. And so I think we're going to go into this next stage of um, not just recovery, but realignment. And that's not instantaneous. You know, there will be people that have to, or have lost their jobs and or will need to move over from one role or to another where the economy is going to be in a tricky place anyway. But I call it the, you know, the realignment factor, which is where we need to leave that space and time, you know, for that it's like the transformation. It's like in birth, right? It's, it's like that bit between coming down and coming out is the most challenging part. We're, we're going to be in that place. There's going to be a lot of rebirthing going on, people. I'm sorry, I was on mute. I muted myself. I'm sorry. I said uh, that you did that very well, uh, by the way. How's your acting career coming along? That's the furthest thing. In fact, I would, I would rather offer my, you know, something 
to science than ever, 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 ever well, move into that world. <laughs> you can donate your body parts on your on your driver's license, so that's okay. I don't think they'd accept them. I think I've hammered my body. Oh, there'd be there'd be a few there'd be a few parts there'd be a few parts that are <laughs> yeah, my eyelashes my eyelashes. <laughs> It's look, it's when you were talking then, it's such a fascinating conundrum because if you think about, as you referenced just then, what you've been brought up socially conditioned to think is the right thing to do and how to live and what success is and what's financially uh, sensible and efficient. And everybody's done, you know, there's a lot of people that have done the right thing mm. and the shit still hit the fan. Yeah. You know, um, it's a bit like the situation of, well, but, but we've been so healthy and I've been so healthy and how have I got cancer? You know, it's the, these things happen. So I think, and this is where people can kind of go, oh, not one of those conversations. But if we look at this as this has happened for us and not to us, you mm. know, it's happening to us. We're having to respond, react, deal, yeah. cope, uh, recover, save, salvage. But we're also being forced to acknowledge what this is also offering up. Mm -hmm. And one element of that, and this only comes usually with the gift of being in a situation where one is dealing with extreme adversity, you know, like the inevitable of somebody you care, inevitability of somebody or yourself dying. You know, when you're in there, when you're going to a hospital every day and you only have limited time and or you don't know how long you have and your health is in question and you can't travel and you can't do anything, you're just forced to live in the moment. You're forced to reconsider what you have, not so much what you don't have, because when you focus on that, that has you plummet into pessimism, plummet into sadness, loss and grief, which you need to allow yourself to do. Yeah. But it has forced us in these uncertain times to consider what we do have and what we can do with now. Now, that doesn't help anybody uh, regain the shares that they've lost or the money that they've lost or the stability that they thought they were going to have and that they would put aside all this money and was going to live a fruitful life until they were 78 and whatever. But what it does do is it forces you to look at what, what can and what will you do with what you have now. And it forces, whether you like it or not, the opportunity to take of reevaluating life to stop looking at it with such a long-term yeah. perspective. That doesn't mean to say expect to die, expect to lose everything. It says look at what you want to do to cultivate your future. Make incredible goals. Vision the future. Plan for it. And in the same breath, be willing and adaptable enough to know that you can put it out there but we can't necessarily rely on it. And I think that's forcing a presence, mm. Mm. forcing um, a, a, a new resilience and an adaptability that, that we are missing in our very Western way of needing to control and feel safe in mm. our ability to predict and control. We're having to learn new muscles. Mm. You know, that's a very deep um, you know, philosophical uh, concept. I mean, uh, it's, it's almost... Well, it's stoic, really, in its uh, in its outlook. Um, it's one of those things that stability and this notion of safety um, can't be gained out there. It can only be gained in here. Absolutely, in here, and um, it's 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 one of those things that uh, people are probably learning right now. Um, and it's uh, I guess it's one of those things that you're also um, happy to teach. Is that correct? 
Well, it, you know, it, it, yes, absolutely, because I think it's a, something that should be taught on the curriculum in schools. You know, we, if we taught the Agree. adults that come and work with me that in any given moment you have the, the opportunity and the choice to cultivate a different outcome through your mindset and your approach, if you mm. learnt that, if you learn there is a tendency to get stuck in experiences of the past and or to fear what will or won't happen in the future and bring all of that stress and that anxiety into your current state yeah. that affects your heart, affects your breathing, yeah. affects your thinking. If we learn those very basic science-based facts, we would all be dealing with the situation in very different ways. That doesn't mean to say we wouldn't be grieving. Sadness and emotions are incredibly important. We can, we can feel it. But we can simultaneously learn to reframe it to be a different experience if we just knew how. Yeah. One, one thing I wanted to just share with you and the listeners, I, if you look through my um, camera roll, well, you might be horrified, so we won't talk about those photos. But um, if you look, I did. My, <laughs> if you look Which ones? My, <laughs> through my camera roll, there's a few incredible photos that I have, and they are of some of the children uh, some of the refugees uh, with some of the other work that I do. And whenever I look at one of those photographs, it is so humbling. I feel such a sick feeling, like I could almost throw up in my own mouth, as graphic as that is, because of what is going on all the time, just over there yeah. on the map. Yeah. And these are people who have been displaced, who are sitting in war zones, who have known nothing other than a very pure natural and who are constantly living in that and yet we yeah. go about in our day-to-day -day lives ensuring that we've got this and ensuring we've purchased this and ensuring our ass and our lips look like this i'm one of those people too but not taking responsibility for what's going on for those people that have to live in that uncertainty every minute of every day yeah. and so i also think and i know i'm getting on my soapbox here if we do not learn from this and take more responsibility for all of the humanity of the planet and not just resurrecting our own lives, then this is gonna come back harder. So, you know, I always say this when we, this was the biggest lesson, the juiciest lesson that I, one of the many I got from my husband's illness is when he first got cancer and we went through chemo and then he went into remission supposedly. And then we went back to, you know, filming the series and we were like, yeah, we've done cancer and we're doing Hollywood, aren't we? And then it came back and it was like, we did not get the lessons we were supposed to get. And it took something so much more severe for both of us to get what we needed to get. So again, jumping off my soapbox, I, I just hope that we don't only suffer in our own challenge, but we take the lessons learned from this uncertainty and we use it to not only rebuild our social setting, but those around the world. Everything you're saying seems so logical and mm. sensible. But it, it would take it will take a huge shift worldwide because of the way our governments are structured for that to ever take place, right? But you know, so this is part of the fascinating conversation of legacy. And we have this tendency to look at a situation and go, wow, it's so big what can I do? Or, wow, it's so big. And because of the government structure, how will we ever change that? All we can do is chip away. 
you know so I, I don't have an answer and I am mm. definitely I am so utterly embarrassingly ignorant in terms of any kind of political conversation and what I do know is that if we can in our own way make some small contribution every day to the change in the way we interact as human beings we may not ever see it in our lifetime and our children may not even see it but if we keep moving through it and educating our children who are the guardians of our planet then what we do is we make slow incremental changes and i've been reading this fantastic book over and over because it's far too academic for my funny little brain the book of humans by adam rutherford mm-hmm. and he talks about speedy evolution and you know uh, different insects you know growing wings and then losing wings and then in the next and he talks about fast evolution being 300 400 years and so in our funny little lives we think evolution is like by 2025 we'll have this nailed. I'm talking about something that we need to make a conscious movement that may take hundreds of years but by that teaching to the next generation and practicing it ourselves perhaps we will make those small changes and hopefully this virus and what it has forced us into will be incremental in in kickstarting those specifics. One of um one of life's little paradoxes right now is that, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of stonewalling by politicians around the world uh, with respect to, you know, the environment and uh, the greening of the planet. Uh, but this virus has knocked out a lot, of, a lot of industries and giving the earth a chance to breathe again. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I, I wonder in years to come whether, whether people will look back at this period and say, wow, that, that was a time when our, our our air quality improved and our and the fish in the ocean oceans came back and and you know like we we started to the earth started to breathe again and 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 uh look look at how we you know that was they might look back at it as a golden period <laughs> but look who who knows but i think it's important to recognize that you know when our species gets knocked off their perch what happens to the earth you know what happens to the other species everything starts to flourish in some way so i think it's very hard because obviously the money uh, the the world is ruled by power and money predominantly but sometimes it takes the natural disaster and or a virus to to knock our species back a little bit to to be humbled and who knows um i read this or i can't think where it was but i saw this funny little cartoon it was maybe the new yorker or maybe it was russell kane the comedian yes i think it was he said today the cat asked me if he wanted me to leave the radio on for me while he went out for, the, for a walk the twat and it was this whole thing about you know like the, the the animals and and the freedom they have and you know outside my house it's like it's like humans don't exist there's just millions of lorikeets all looking at us laughing mm, sitting mm. on our balconies so there is this like uh, i find it quite fascinating uh, just watching you know the power play taking being played out here right now I just hope uh, apathy and convenience doesn't kick straight back in when everybody thinks it's all going to go, when it all goes away, whether, you know, I know from clean oceans that George and I have, we have this constant battle against apathy and convenience um, Mm. with regards to plastic in the ocean. But um, I just wonder whether people, um, it, like it, it is in their minds it's all too hard to make that little change or that little step that's my fear is that um apathy and convenience is a very potent drug 
that uh, most of the world live by, you know? Look, I think some of the most important things that we need moving forward is leadership, whether that is, I mean, and that has to start from within, right? We want to look externally for leadership and we're not seeing it in our government. Who are the people that are in alignment with our values? You know, uh, the environment in terms of how we communicate, how we socialize, who are the leaders that we need to look for, for that kind of guidance so that that apathy doesn't set in. And then there's, there's also this reset. I was thinking the other day that, you know, you can go to the coffee shops still, certain coffee shops, but you can't take your keep cup. Right. So people have obviously moved back to uh, plastic lids and cups. And uh, I know and again, I want to be very mindful here because of my ignorance. But I know that in, in North America, there have been certain um, uh, usual rules pushed aside when there is a national state of emergency in terms of manufacturing. Yeah. So, uh, that disregard the environment and climate change. So my. And, and I'm very mindful of never saying my concern or I worry about. I try and always invite people to language, you know, something that I want to have an impact in mm-hmm. or something that I want to bring attention to is that we resolve the things that perhaps we've let slide because of enforced situations. You know, so like not recycling effectively, minuscule things like that, so that when we get back on the beach and, and for our listeners, you know, I, I am a lover of the, the oceans as well as you two remarkably. And I'm horrified that, you know, running up and down the beach, the, the plastic has just become uncontrollable. Mm. And yet I'm also fascinated that we aren't, especially myself included, when we enter the beach, aren't given some form of container where to enter the beach, you also have to be responsible p- picking a load of crap up off and putting it in the garbage. Like yeah. it, it blows my mind that there aren't simple things like that taking place. So I think some of the things we need to be conscious of going back in terms of conversations about apathy is empowering and inspiring people to be of service where they can, to mm. care about things and make a difference where they can. And I think that comes in leadership, whether you work in an organization, your boss in a small business, a good friend of yours, you as a parent, like how can you inspire a lack of apathy and a greater awareness around the impact you can make? That's wonderful. I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good point to, to uh, wrap up this uh, interview on. But, I, uh, but just before we do, I have a question for you. Is there anything uh, that you, you know, you're keeping under the hood at the moment that uh, what's next for Vashti? That you haven't revealed to anyone. I, I, um, as everyone will know, people describe me as never on time, but right on schedule. Uh, <laughs> so with me, I have all these wonderful intentions, but as always, move very fluidly with what my cubs needs. And doing it as a solo gig, that means that I will always honour my clients and my obligations, but I'm much more fluid with some of the bigger projects that I am putting out there. One of the things that um, this situation, this chapter, the, the virus chapter has created is the realization that travel in the very near future is questionable. You know, where we will, uh, what we can and what we can't do. And so what I will say is it's, I can't give you a when, but there is just so much more online connection work yes. coming from my side, which is um, educational, authentic, 
and won't necessarily deliver the same exciting energy that you can get from being in a room with someone will do its absolute best to do that. So there's lots of interesting things happening like that. And I do want to just finish with something inappropriate because you know how I like to do that. Awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, read this fantastic, <laughs> I read this fantastic book, actually. It's called uh, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And it's I always pronounce her name uh, in a, incorrectly. She's called Laurie Godlieb, and she's a phenomenal therapist. And um, she does a lot of work. You, you can look her up on YouTube and she talked about and she's a, a very uh, prominent therapist and she talked about not wanting to do therapy on Skype or Zoom or anything like that and in the therapy world they call it it's like having therapy doing therapy with a condom <laughs> and I I thought about how you know so many of my clients are international so they have to work on Zoom and always have done but all of my Australian and New Zealand clients always kind of have in the past have kind of requested you know I much I want to do it in person because mm. I get so much I'm not an online person but we've been forced to go online mm. and so it is my absolute you know and again I'm not going to get too inappropriate here because I'm not sure who your audience your audience is but I want the experience with me to feel and real and raw as it possibly could and not like there's a level of contraception in between and so my quest <laughs> my quest is to do that online I'm and you know that, Aussie, that's, Aussie's, that's Aussie's. That's what's coming, baby. You know, Aussies like it down and dirty anyway. <laughs> Unprotected conversation, hey? Hey. Uh, so to finish up, Vasti, you know we always finish with a song. So the song, what's the song? The song. Well, it's a bit predictable, but I have gone with Nina Simone feeling good because awesome. when you That's... hear the opening to that, it's like the start, the new beginnings. It's like anything and everything is possible, however shitty it was. That woman and her challenge and what she managed to go through and that voice and that music, anything's possible. Pretty amazing song. Vashti, thank you very much. But before we go, any of our listeners who want to get in touch with you can do so how? Just go to um, either visit me through any social media channels um, and or just jump on the website vashti slash whitfield.com and look for me there. But you know me, I'm a social media groupie. You can find me anywhere. <laughs> Even down can, on the beach. <laughs> can we get you back in, in, in a, say, a month's time to see where we're at? Love to. I would always, I will always talk to you guys. It's an absolute delight. Anytime, she's, anywhere, she's not about only, anything. She's not only a social media groupie, she's an FYB groupie. Yeah, we like that. That's we like me. that. Sharing the love. Thank you, Vashti. Thanks, Vashti. Bye v for Vashti, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Blossom on the tree
Sand of the pine 